it was all, I swear, every mainstream article would precede that word with some nasty adjective. It was always this angry atheist, this militant atheist. It's like, one, I read the article. They are not, they are not that mean. But two, like I've met a bunch of these people in person and they're pretty nice in person. So you know what? If you're all asking me for a website, I'm going to make this awkward for you and just call it friendly atheist. Because one, I mean, I think I am. I don't know if that's true, but. Well, they need to also preface anything they say with that. So yeah. immediately it's like the friendly atheist yeah. said, go fuck yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. All right. Hi. Hey. How are you? I am here with Hammond Mehta, who is AKA the Friendly Atheist uh, podcast and writer and just unbelievable. I've, I've known about him for a few years now. I think the first time I saw you was on the, um, was it Matt Delahunty's show? Sure. The Atheist Experience, probably. Yes. Uh, I, and then that's the ACA, right? That's the Austin yeah. chapter. Atheist Community of Austin does a whole series of shows. They have guests on there, answer phone calls, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's where I first saw you. Um, and then, obviously, I, I've seen you do things elsewhere since. And then, of course, I read the book, by the way. Which <laughs> this Young Atheist Survival Guide. I think that should be in uh, focus. Yay, there it is. And... Um, I absolutely loved it. And it was interesting for me because I'm coming from Northern Ireland. I actually was, there was only one in 10 friends who weren't atheists versus mm-hmm. here. I literally only know a few others Yeah, um, who mostly actually happen to be in the music field, yeah. which is maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But um, anyway, I want to start with the basics. Um, so you're a little younger than me by a little bit. Okay. Uh, you were 83, you were born? I was, yeah. Uh, I was 81, so a little, little bit older. Um, so let's do this. Yeah. You are Chicago-based. Yes. Have you always been? Tell me the basic. Yeah, more or less. I grew up in and around Chicago, different parts of the suburbs. I lived in the city for several years uh, during and after college, and now kind of settled in a different suburb. But yeah, more or less in and around Chicago most of my life. Okay, so you actually did the whole suburb in and then out? Yeah. So when I was living <laughs> in the city, like now, because I'm older, I kind of regret the fact that I, I wish I had gone out more when I lived there. But it was just like, yeah, I can do that anytime. It's now it's like, oh, right, that's where fun stuff happens. But it's a lot harder to get into the city, especially with family stuff, you know, so. Right. Um, I'm going to move this closer. Yeah, it's all good. But yeah, I, I lived right downtown Chicago for a while. And so, yeah, it was a nice time. I liked it. I know a lot of people like that. A lot of. Well, I've been here 17 years in America, and a lot of the people that were fans of my music were kind of tw- 10, 12 years old when I was he- when I moved here, and now they're late 20s. That's the time they can come to concerts. Right. So, <laughs> so what I get is I get these people that were like now down in this, or either now down or just moving out and starting to start a family or something, sure. and they've gone through that whole process. And it's just weird because... It happens quite a lot now. I, I come to a show and uh, they'll show me the picture of us back in 2007. Oh yeah. And I'll be like, oh, shit. I'm, <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so because I'm, I'm curious because this all ties into a lot of the questions to do with your book, but I don't want to get ahead because what I want to know is it says 
that you became an atheist at 14 or so, from what I can tell. Yeah. Now, I did too, but it sounds like I'm assuming maybe from very different upbringings. I, I would like to hear that period of time. How yeah. did that be- happen? So I think if my memory serves me right at this point, I was in middle school, finally making close friends, really tied to them. Didn't know the word atheist, didn't think about it much at all. I think a friend of mine might have been agnostic. I didn't know what that really meant. But what happened is right before high school started, my family moved um, to the suburbs of Chicago. And I remember just thinking this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. I am now losing my close friends. Uh, I got to start all over. uh, And I don't know what that's going to look like. And it's not that that made me stop believing in God, but it made me question God. For the first time ever. And then I went down that rabbit hole for a while where it's like, well, what happens if you don't believe in God? Is there something wrong with you? Um, is it my religion that's wrong or is it something else? And and we're talking like old school 1997, six, seven, somewhere around there where it's like you have to go on America online on one phone line, you have to wait till everyone's asleep. You that say stuff. we can still, if we picture it, we can, we could literally hear the noise. The dial-up music. Up. Oh yeah, the boot-up music. The exact way it would go every time. Absolutely. That you just reminded me of that. Go ahead. Right, and so I would look that stuff up. Mind you, I don't even think Google was a thing back then. So if you're looking this stuff up, the only websites where I saw anyone writing about what I would now say is atheism. It looked like it was just random dudes writing out of their basement somewhere, like, I have an idea and a theory. And it's like, huh, this crazy man makes sense. And the more I read about that stuff, it's like, yeah, I don't think it's my religion that's wrong. I think religion is wrong. And so pretty quickly, I kind of came to the conclusion that I don't think God exists. But then, as I'm sure a lot of people have been through, when you start going through that thought process— you have to rethink everything in your life that you previously attributed to God. Yeah. And that takes a little while. Like, I think I'm right about this, but wait. Right. Then what happens when people die? How is the earth in existence? All this wild stuff that you don't necessarily, when you're 14, know how to answer. No, you don't. But you previously were told God has something to do with it. And it's like, well, if that's out of the picture, then what's the answer? I just didn't know enough at that point. So what basically happened is, I was more or less an atheist, even if I didn't use the word, but also I wasn't certain because I couldn't be because I didn't know much. So it just began that process of trying to make it make sense. A lot of people fall into that category now. They just wouldn't, they just don't like the term because of the stigma. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and then of course they, about it to know there was a stigma. Of course. Right. (laughs) And then, but I, I love how some of the, some of the people like to cop out with using basically a different term. They'll say I'm agnostic or something sure. like, well, actually, no. That's a different so, thing. So were we. But to be able to explain it to you would be not worth our time to explain right. why you don't use agnostic, agnostic or atheist. You right. can be both. Or, I mean, or, right or now, you can be agnostic. Most people would use is just I'm not religious. Yeah, none. I'm none. None of the above. Right? Yeah. I'm other. It, the reason why this fascinates me is because. I consider myself now, well, even by the time I was 21, I considered myself to be lucky that I had never had a supernatural belief. Mm. And, I, and I'm, I would say I'm one of the rare ones. Like, yeah. Now, I was lucky. My dad is a, a, a master's in geology. 
you know, so you a master's in philosophy. Background. Like he's got a couple of, you know, master's degrees. Like he's a wonderfully intelligent man, annoyingly so. Yeah. Really annoyingly so. <laughs> he's one of those guys that does all the pub quizzes oh, in sure. the UK and wins all the bloody time. <laughs> so, but he, it was always this kind of like, my mom's going to take me to church. And we were active in the church. There was a thing called the Boys Brigade, which is kind of like, Boy Scouts, yeah. but it's connected to the church, right? Sure. Now, it, there was no other than like one prayer looking back. It wasn't really religious, but it was a, because it was run by the church, it was religious, right? Sure. And all we did was play football as in soccer. But that's the thing. It's cultural. It's, it's cultural. It's completely do. normal. It's Yeah. But even then I never had a belief yeah. in anything like that. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But so tell me, how did that develop for you then in later teens as being like looking around going, Jesus? Yeah. Pardon I, the pun. No, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it was. It's once I realized, okay, I don't think I believe in God. Mind you, this is probably the first big thing I had ever come to a conclusion about without running it by anyone else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a kid, but I feel like I'm right about this thing that everyone else is wrong about. I'm not bragging about that, and I'm not parading that around, but that's what's going on in my head. And so I'm, I'm sure I told some friends and we talked about it during high school, but it wasn't until I got to college that I'm like, I actually kind of want to meet other atheists. It would be nice if there was a group of atheists or something, mm -hmm. because again, when you're in the United States, almost wherever you are, it's sometimes hard to meet other people who who not just care about religion to the point where atheism means something to you. But it's like, no, I want to talk about this because I, there are so many news stories that involve religion and I want to talk about it with somebody. And so in college, I ended up, long story short, I formed a group on my campus for other atheists, kind of like if you build it, maybe they'll come. And the person I started it with, like coincidentally, we met up and it's like, oh, you're into this too? I am too. Great. Um, she actually had worked with some national organizations that focused on this stuff. And I didn't know that world existed. Like, you right. mean to tell me there are entire groups that care about this stuff? Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so through that group, I got some, I wouldn't say leadership skills, but I got to explore these issues in a way I had not before. That was fun. Got to have discussions I wouldn't have had otherwise. That right. was fun. And then kind of after college ended, I started working a little more with some of those national organizations. And you realize, okay, I don't have to convince myself atheism is right. I'm surrounded by people. This is probably true of a church too. I don't need to debate this stuff because everyone here is on the same page. The question is, what do you do with that information? And you realize, I realized that's like, oh, there are bigger issues that they care about because they are atheists. And maybe it's political. Maybe it's an issue-oriented thing. It's like, oh, that's where the real conversations are happening because most people are not sitting around debating theology. They're debating applications of it. So that's a good question that I always want to ask somebody like yourself who I would say is maybe slightly different upbringing, but we, we got to the same places. Yeah. Why do you think that now, obviously, you can be an atheist and be a conservative or sure. be an atheist and be pro-life or yes. anything, because all it means is I do not believe there's a God. It's but, one answer to one question. To one question. But I would say, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, that the majority of people that I meet that are atheists also happen to be liberal, mm -hmm. progressive, 
pro-choice, generally pro any kind of uh, LGBTQ issue, whatever it may be. I'm wondering what connections in the brain or what makes people, uh, when they think of ethics and morality, they end up going down that road. Like it seems to be a natural progression to if there is no God, therefore secular humanism they might right, not know right. that's what it is yeah but that's what i've called my you know i've got a humanist sticker on the back of my car and i get asked about it quite a bit at shows people be what's that little guy mean and i'm like do you want to know right because right, you right. might a might not like the answer be <laughs> be bored of the answer or c well you know obviously hopefully c you'll actually be like oh what oh wow that describes me and i didn't know it <laughs> right it that describes happens. me yeah because that's what i'm wondering like, most people wouldn't even know what humanism is right. let alone what we mean by sorting out a moral dilemma using secular humanism's basic tenets you know it's like not yeah. that they're tenets i guess that's no, a bad I, word I, you're use, right but the reason i think most people end up on one side when it comes to these big culture or war type of issues i mean if you think about let's say lgbtq rights There's two ways to go about it. One is if you want people to have freedom and things like that, that seems like a pretty universal principle. I don't want someone else's beliefs dictating what I can do. Then I'm going to land on one side of that. But in the U.S. anyway, it seems like who's opposed to same-sex rights, trans rights? It's usually religious people for religious reasons. And it's like, well, if you disagree with religion, you're probably going to be on the opposite side of that. Now, mind you, especially recently, there have been atheists who are outspoken against trans rights. But by and large, (laughs) uh but by and large, if we're talking, let's go back a second, just to same sex rights, same sex marriage. The opposition, when that was still being debated, um, came from the religious side. So if you oppose religious beliefs and you oppose religious beliefs being imposed on you, you're probably going to take the other side of that. Um, But also you can make a case for why it's the moral or ethical thing to do. Same thing goes for abortion rights. Same thing goes for the death penalty. Same thing goes for any cultural, moral, ethical issue you could think of. When religious people are using religious arguments to defend it, it doesn't mean there might not be secular ones to make the same point. I mean, going back to the abortion thing, there is, I guess, a secular argument you could make as to why abortion is wrong, and I have heard some atheists make that. However, in the U.S., the majority of the opposition to abortion rights comes from the religious side for religious reasons. So if you don't want religion being imposed on you, then you're going to take the other side of the fence. Now, I want to be clear. There are ethical arguments to be made in favor of the pro-choice position, which is what plenty of atheists would say. I'm not just saying, oh, religious people like this, then I'm going to take the opposite side. Of course, I can defend it on its own terms. But that, to me, is a big reason you see so many atheists on one side of the fence when it comes to a lot of these issues. So I know you go by, well, these will be two questions, but you go by the friendly atheist. Yes. No, it's a lie. <laughs> Insert evil laugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See, right. That's why if you had that thing I was telling you about, you'd press the button and it oh, would do an evil laugh. That for would be you. awesome. Or or just went, like loads of minions going <laughs> like this. That would be um, so fun. Okay. What was the conscious thought behind that? Was that some kind of nickname or was that just something you thought of might be a good idea? And then that the the question yeah. I'll ask them both and then you can yeah. lead in is This is a tough question for people to answer as atheists, I think, or or even as any kind of um, 
non-believers is I, I feel like it's not just the religious right that are the problem in America. It's the liberal religious left. So what I mean by that is like I watch Morning Joe, right? Yeah. And I agree with 99% of what they say. I like watching it. I actually enjoy it. But but he preaches from his seat about Jesus and Jesus would never have done this. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you're talking about literally the reason that a big massive massacre just happened yeah. this week is exactly that that's what they're arguing about. You can say that, you know, it's this, G- like it, Jesus would never do this, this and this. But I'm like, the people who believe in him are the ones that are fighting against the ones who don't. Yeah. But it's not like the ones who don't are atheists. They just believe in a different version. And I'm like, how, if you're constantly injecting that in, even from a liberal perspective, mm-hmm. it feels like you never get away from it. That yeah. was a long-winded no, way of okay. saying, can Let you connect those two? Those. <laughs> so why, why did I go with the friendly atheist? The reason is way back in the day, um, I'll, I'll try to keep this as short and unboring as possible. Um, I started getting more public attention and people would want to know, well, what website can we go to to find out more? I didn't have one. And at the time, every time you saw atheism in the news or an atheist in the news, it was all, I swear, every mainstream article would precede that word with some nasty adjective. It was always this angry atheist, this militant atheist. It's like, one, I read the article. They are not, they are not that mean. But two, like I've met a bunch of these people in person and they're pretty nice in person. So you know what? If you're all asking me for a website, I'm going to make this awkward for you and just call it friendly atheist. Because one, I mean, I think I am. I don't know if that's true, but. Well, they need to also preface anything they say with that. So yeah. immediately it's like the friendly atheist yeah. said, Go fuck yourself. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) it. It's like, no, that's why I went with friendly atheists. But then, so going back to the religious thing, so I'm with you. There are plenty of people who use religion for what I consider to be unethical, really cruel reasons as justification. And I agree. There are plenty of liberal, progressive, religious people that will also cite their faith. I will tell you, over the past 15, 20 years that I've been talking about this, writing about this stuff full time— my tolerance for that has actually gone up. I can handle it a lot better, mostly because it's like, I would love to convince you God doesn't exist. But at the same time, if you're citing religion to do progressive things, to fight back against the religious right, yeah, I don't love your reasoning for it, but at least you're on the right side and you're pushing for the right things. And actually, I've seen this with a lot of the atheist groups that back in the day, wouldn't get the time of day from a lot of those groups. Interfaith groups would not consider atheist groups part of that coalition. But over the past several years, while we have seen the rise of Christian nationalism, you've seen religious arguments used to justify child separation, other policies. You know what? A lot of atheist church-state separation type of organizations are saying, you know what? If this Jewish group or this Sikh group or this progressive Christian group says we are aligned in the fact that using religion to hurt trans people or whoever else is wrong, you know what? We will set aside our differences and we will say, okay, legally speaking, we're all on the same page here. And maybe it carries more weight with the judge when you see that all of us who have no business being in the same room together are saying on this issue, we are on the same page. 
And so I've seen a lot more of that. And so to your point about like Morning Joe and stuff, is it annoying? Yes. Would I like to see, there are some amazing progressive Christian voices leading the charge when it comes to civil rights, activism, social justice issues. I love that. Do I wish they would do it in a secular way? Sure. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I'm with you. I support your cause. And if I if I had to get upset or angry every time someone disagreed with me about something I'm passionate about, I would get nowhere. Right. So it's like, it, okay, low I look priority. On, so I try to, when I get annoyed at something like that, I try to look on it as the spectrum. And what I try to remember my, to myself is like, Think it's not 15th century Christianity, yeah, or modern day radical Islam, yeah. It's none of those things. And if we look on a spectrum of 15th century pre-Reformation type Christianity to now, or to atheist, if we want to call that religion free, yeah, these guys are kind of here. They just haven't got rid rid of the wishy washy yet. Exactly. Like all those things that and they attribute of- to Jesus are not anything, there's nowhere to be found in the Bible. What's interesting (laughs) to me is, what are younger Christians, what are younger Muslims and and Jews thinking about a lot of these things? Because the fact is, if there are younger Christians who go to, let's say, non-denominational evangelical megachurches, and they hear about purity culture, and they hear about, like, we don't really care about climate change, it's not like the evolution debates that were more popular a decade or two ago. But if you're talking about social issues, how should we treat our gay friends? How should we treat the environment? A lot of those younger Christians are also thinking like, well, I have faith-based reasons to support the climate crisis, like to do something about it. And gun safety is a big issue to me. A lot of progressive things. And it's like, you know what? If that's what you are inspired to fight for, then I will, I can put aside the religious basis for your argument we'll deal with that over beer later. For now, if you're on that side, then let's fight for that because I think we're all in agreement that this needs to change. And I don't think religion itself is the reason they might choose a a wrong position or something like that. That's not the end-all be-all of why people make bad decisions. It doesn't help, but it's probably not the biggest factor. I used to think when it came to the world of non-critical thinking, like religion was the head of the beast. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing you got to fix. Cause if you could get people to wean themselves off of religion, then they'll stop thinking foolishly in all the other ways. Clearly that's not true. So that, before I, before I move on, uh, one more thing on it. So that's fascinating because as parents now, I just, I just yeah. learned you are, I've had these arguments with my family, not big arguments, but certainly arguments because, you know, my father-in-law is a devout, born-again type Christian. And luckily, nobody else in the family really gives a shit about it. Like, and I mean, like, literally to the point of they're like, Ugh, couldn't care less. <laughs> so we're on extreme ends. Sure. I, I, I care about it deeply and all the things that it does to the world. And he thinks it has a positive impact on the world. And I... Couldn't disagree more. But we still have these crazy arguments and four hours long and then hug it out at the end. And I think it's because he sees that it's a a cognitive dissonance thing for him to see an atheist be a good father, Mm -hmm. a good husband, a good provider, a good friend to his friends, a good businessman, a guy who stands up in front of thousands of people and performs and there's a connection there and he sees it. He finds that hard, you know, that computing thing is like, wow, how how do I... The boogeyman that a lot of people get taught about non-religious people 
in their religious institutions when they realize that's not true. I mean, that's such a, how do I reconcile the fact that, oh, there are atheists out there who do good things because you are led to believe in so many religious institutions, you need God to be good. And the fact is, no, there are plenty, there are plenty of people without God who are good. And yes, some are not. But there are plenty of people out there who are good with religion. But more than anything, it's so easy to find examples of people with God who are downright horrible. Oh, yeah. More than the, ever. What's the classic line about um, it takes oh. good people, well, to good people to do good things, bad people to do bad things, but to get good people to do bad things, that takes, takes religion. religion. Something like that, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's obviously extremes of that. And generally, we're talking bigger scales when we mean that. We don't mean you steal a packet of sweets. A candy because you're a religious. We mean right. you end up murdering an entire we're holy wars. Yes, we're talking holy wars here, genocides, but, because we think that we're God ordained. And but even beyond that, I mean, well, over the past year since uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, we have seen stories in the news because, again, that's the goal that religious conservatives wanted. But how many stories have there been about horrible situations? Little girls have been placed in where they were forced to give birth. And for a lot of people who were taught to believe, of course, abortion is wrong in every situation. It's like, okay, well, you got what you wanted. Here's what that looks like in reality. It's like, oh, I was not told about this in church. It's like, yeah, I know. We've been trying to tell you. Did you see and the little, you know, you know, the way like modern technology, everybody complains is like the being of the world existence. It's like, oh, it's ruining everyone. Right. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it has this massive impact. Like the person, my pod that comes out uh, this week that we're recording this is yeah. I interviewed a guy called Jason Lewis. I'll send you the link. He's got like 700 plus thousand followers on TikTok. Yeah. And he does these really funny sort of talks to camera about progressive issues. Yeah. It, it's little moments of of comedy and stuff that that come out on there like so the example was it was it wasn't comedy but it was a serious thing where they had reenacted a moment like that. Yeah. And it's a dad going let's get this done and they're like no 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 your daughter can't have an abortion it's against the law and they're like what what do you mean she's she's fucking 12. Mhm. I need to, and I'll just take her across the border and like oh no you won't. And then the, it's an imagine, you know, a, a make-believe Republican senator walks in and goes, oh, no, no, when I got in, I get to decide what yeah. happens to your daughter. Yeah. And he's like, no, no those way. Ads, they're wild. Yeah, and I'm like, this is what, you know, technology allows us to have too. It allows us to get those obvious scenarios out yeah. to people. And then it makes them think. They're like, yes. Wait a minute. And this is what that leads to. This is what. And you if know. you're looking to change those cultures, those religious cultures that preach that stuff, I don't think a guy like me, who is an atheist who is talking about this stuff publicly, I don't think I'm going to be nearly as effective as a younger Christian who goes to those churches, believes that stuff, but believes in the religious aspect of that stuff, and says, I don't think purity culture is effective. I don't think it's helpful because I've seen what this, how this plays out. Or we say abortion is wrong, but then look what happens. And clearly, that scenario where an a senator of some state gets to make a decision about a 12-year-old girl's body, like, that seems extreme. And when it's those Christians speaking up, this goes back to that Morning Joe's type of progressive Christian thing. It's like, you know what? I'm glad you're speaking up. I'm glad they might be more willing to listen to you because you're not out to get them. You actually want this to work, but you got to deal with the people you're surrounded by. 
So it's like, good, I hope you keep pushing for that because you'll be more effective. And that might actually create change down the line. See, for me, I had this absolute naivety as a young teenager, as I became an atheist, which I haven't, I haven't told you that story. Maybe I'll just tell you it offline because I want to get as much of you talking yeah. as possible. But <laughs> but it's a, it's an interesting story. But the, the thing is, I had this naivety that there would be no religion by the time I was 40 <laughs> because now we have the internet right. type thing. And I was like, well, all it takes is access to knowledge. Having access and to the information has not made some people better. That's what blows my mind is like, I was just going to say what you were talking about when it comes to abortion and stuff in different states. All you need to do is look up the stats. And I've pointed these out to people. It makes no difference. Yeah. I'm like, all of the highest abortion rates happen in red states. Yeah. All the highest teenage pregnancy rates happen in places where abstinence is taught the life instead of sex education. Life expectancy is lower life expectancy. in those states. All of those things. Uh, even when it comes to things like one thing I care about deeply is guns because I come from a country that has none or at least close to none that it matters. Yeah. And it really upsets me, especially since I've had kids. I'm just waiting. I sort of suggest describe it as I'm waiting on that phone call. Yeah. Like, it's just as likely me as the next person yeah. getting the call from the school. By the way, there's been a shooting and there's 15 kids and both years were, were two of them type of a scenario, like worst case scenario. Yeah. And I say to them, you do realize that on a graph like this, the lower the gun laws the less gun laws, the more gun deaths. It's literally like this. And then yeah. they'll be like, oh, but Chicago. And I'm like, Chicago isn't even in the top 15. But and they where do have you think been... they're getting guns from? Um, where, uh, yeah, <laughs> and where, where are they getting this? Chicago's the worst place on earth thing. Yeah, yeah, there was a guy I just saw. I think saw... Oklahoma City is probably the, the worst uh, homicide rate or something. Yeah. But it's in a red state. And so they downplay they that. Downplay it's it. so easy to just rip on the biggest blue cities you can imagine. Like, I'm sure many people have made videos like this, but it's on TikTok or anywhere where people are just like, oh, man, I'm about to head into Chicago where I live downtown. Oh, oh, what's that? Oh, it's a beach. Oh, I'm just going to the beach. Or I'm just walking around this beautiful city. What is going? It's it looks nothing like the boogeyman. They are those cities are portrayed in like right wing media. I was literally just about to say that. There's a funny one where the guy's standing down where the um down there beside the like the bean the, yeah, and the, the bean the and all that things. stuff, and he's like. Guys, I'm here against my will in downtown <laughs> Chicago. I'm fearing for my life. And there's all these kids happily playing in the background. It's a right. beautiful, you know, cityscape. I've seen, I've seen that so in so funny. many big cities where certain conservatives will just treat them like hellholes. They don't live there. They're just like, oh, this city, you can't even walk there. It's like, well, I live here. It's fine. It's fine. No, yeah. none of these cities lack their own problems. But if you're worried about like walking through, like, no one's taking, I don't know, I don't hear about kids wanting to go to college in, like, deeply red states as much as they want to go to these so big schools funny. in certain places, right? Where do you want to move? No one says, I want to move to Wyoming. They're all like, no, I want to go where all these people are at. You know what I mean? By and large. Exactly. Well, let, let's move on. So, sure. I have a big question mark, if you can see it here. <laughs> what is that? Jeopardy, question mark, question mark. Nice. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, it just clicked with me when you were sitting talking there that I have saw you on that really? and didn't realize <laughs> and then saw you on uh, Matt Delahunty's show yeah. and was like, where have I seen him before? <laughs> so for those who don't know, can you please just briefly tell me yeah. your Jeopardy story? Sure. The, the story there is I've auditioned like a lot of people for a couple of uh, several times 
you take an online test back in the day, and after you're done, maybe they get in touch with you. I never got, no one ever got in touch with me, so I'm like, either I failed or everyone passed and then I just didn't get a follow-up or something. A couple years ago, they sent an email like, hey, congrats, you, I'm clearly BCC'd on a larger email, Mm -hmm. but like, you passed the test. We would like you to come in for an in-person interview and test and all that stuff. And so I did that one time, and I went to a hotel in, like, Wisconsin with a whole bunch of people. And so that involved taking another test just to make sure you didn't cheat online or something. Um, An in-person practice game where, really, they just want to see what you look like. What happens if you don't know something? Do you get flustered? Yeah, it's the opposite of Jerry Springer's. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we just want to see you. They're taking to make sure you're seeing versus the opposite, you know? Yeah, and (laughs) we did that. And, again, I'm looking at everyone else like, I don't. Am I against you? Do I have to? And no, you're you're kind of rooting for each other because yes. you want as many people here to get through. And I'm watching these people talk about themselves. There's a little banter going on. And it's like, oh, my God, that person seems interesting. Or, wow, that person has a cool job. And I don't know how I came off. I just know, okay, I'm telling you what I want to tell you, I guess. And that's it. And then they're like, maybe we'll call you all in 18 months. Maybe never. Uh, and if you don't hear from us, please try again. And that's it. We all go home after that. And so at that point, it's like, I don't know what to do. with. I, I will just move on with my life because I assume the answer is they will never call me. You have to. I guess. You have to. And then they called and they're like, hello, come. You're on the show in six weeks. And I'm like, oh, shit. Cool. Oh, my God. And I had the luxury of like, because I work from home, I could try to cram as much as possible. I wasn't trying to uh, mix it in with like a day job and all this other stuff. I did what I could to cram. But basically, when I got to play, they film a week's worth of episode in one day. So I got to meet the other contestants. And again, part of me is like, oh, you're all possible opponents. I don't want to like you. But I'm talking to all these people and they're so interesting. And they're obviously smart. But they're all coming from different places. There's like an opera singer. There's a political consultant. Like, I'm so fascinated by all these people. And we got to play the And then we actually taped the game. And it's like, I don't know how this is going to go. It was a cool experience regardless. I did end up winning. Um, and so I got to do a second. I got to come back, which is really just wait over there until we start taping the next episode. Right, right. Um, and I, I lost the second game. And like at that point, I'm like, doesn't matter. I won one. And it was just it was a neat experience. The show aired right as COVID was shutting everything down. So literally no one cared that I was on the show because no one's paying attention because everyone's worried about COVID. Worried about COVID. And but it was, happened a month later. Maybe, maybe. Everybody would have been watching it. Right, because now you have nowhere else to go. <laughs> uh, but it was it was an awesome experience. It was one of those things where I'm like, I didn't think it would actually happen, which meant I kind of went in just assuming the answer was no. But hey, it sounds like a fun story. I thought right. the story I could tell some of my friends would be, so I auditioned and I got to like go and play practice games and isn't that cool i didn't think it would was, go further was that, that your first experience of a of a broadcast like being involved uh, in a television not necessarily i mean like properly involved in a television i think so i have show. done a couple because of the atheism stuff i talk about and the writing i do i have been on like cable news shows a couple of times right. but those are for like 2 minute hits yes, of course. and stuff yeah. like that this was the first one where it's like oh no i'm actually the center of attention for like 20 30 minutes 
and and who knows what happens. It's like right. just, I don't want to. Be I just asked because I I was thrust into it when I was twenty one. I did yeah. I did the British Idol. Basically, it's called Pop Stars. I ended up winning the entire show. Yeah, like and in the, in that sense, I shouldn't. I should preface that with there was a boy band and a girl band being formed, and I was on the final night. I was the first boy voted in with the most votes. Okay, but. It was then another month of the girls fighting for the boys to see who would get higher up on the British charts with their single, which okay. the girls did. Now, the girls are still Together. mega stars, and they've played, like, the O2 Arena, like, <laughs> ten times, and they're mega stars over there. Yeah. Nobody knows who they are here, but I think they're amazing. I knew them all. And yeah, I wish you got them to well. them. Our boy band kind of lasted, like, a year and just trickled, trickled out, even with a number two hit and a number ten hit. Yeah. Um, I got to write songs with Rick Astley, That's awesome. who I, lo- I think is a, a way more talented than anybody would ever give him credit for. I've seen him working in this kind of scenario and seen what he could do, and he's phenomenal. But my point is I was surrounded by that young, so I understood how it was all done. Yeah. And then, obviously, I was on, I don't You see how the sausage is made. I see how it's done. So I wasn't intimidated when I actually went on The Voice then here yeah. in 2015-16. And I was aware of how it all works. And, and, but it's just funny to see when you see how, how much work goes in to just getting that bit that you see on the screen. I don't think anybody yeah. quite realizes. Like podcasting is a little different. Like we'll, you know, we'll get about, you know, maybe an hour and a half of a chat here, maybe a bit more, and it'll end up being about an hour. Um, although this has been so good that I'm so fascinated. I'm not doing much of the ums and ahs and <laughs> Northern Irishisms that I'm doing here. They are but, taping you for a show like that. I have to imagine it's so much recording, so oh, yeah. much tape, and it's condensed down to so little. Yeah. And but that's one week of recording for yeah. maybe one minute yes. of content. And, yeah, and they make it look like it's all happening in this time frame when really it's happened months before. Did you deal with the attention? Okay. Well, again, I was. Because you were cons- twenty-one. Oh, back then? Yeah. Oh, 21. Yeah. But here's the thing I was going to say to you earlier about I was always a bit of a um, uh, contrarian, if you want to call it that, which is why I liked being called that because I know Hitchens was always yeah. called that. So I was like, I'm okay with that term because I was always different from everybody in lots of ways. I was the musician who wouldn't shut up. So to, <laughs> my teachers are like, oh, come on, Keith, it's just a fad. Concentrate on your on your education and get a real job was right. all I ever heard, right? And I'd right. be like, screw you. <laughs> and I only ever had one teacher that, that said, Keith, go for it. Don't listen to them. Yeah. Right? So uh, there was that. I was an atheist, obviously, even though most of my friends were, they weren't openly saying it to teachers, right? So I also had that. I was yeah. like, screw you. Don't care. I wouldn't come into assembly because we don't have separation of church and state. So my arrival time at school was 9.14 because class started at 9.15. Uh-huh. But you were meant to be there at 8.55 for assembly. And I kept on just writing in the sign-in book funny things, like my dad was beating me and stupid <laughs> stuff, because I was making a point. Right. Now, looking back, that was dumb. <laughs> but at the time, I thought, I'm making a point here. And I had to go to the headmaster's office and everything with my dad. And my dad was like, I'm with him. Yeah. There's no way you can be going to learn about Adam and Eve in assembly and then learning how it's Science. chemically and biologically <laughs> impossible. In the next period in biology, like right. he's like, why are you even still doing this in <laughs> classrooms? Right. So I was used to always be in that. And also a big change was I was a teenager in the 90s, which was Soundgarden, Nirvana, <laughs> Bush and um, Korn and all these bands. I hated that stuff in the 90s. I was Bon Jovi, Brian okay. Adams, 
Sting, you know, these guys. And I considered that to be much more melodic and beautiful. And people were like, oh, he's so old school. You know, <laughs> again, had no problem. All my friends were into Metallica, Megadeth, yeah. which now I have a Megadeth tattoo. Like, I love <laughs> that stuff. But at the time, I, was, I had no problem being the one guy who disagreed. Yeah. So that stuck with me forever. Like, I can walk into any So room. if anyone's criticizing you when you are on that show, you can just brush it off, it sounds e- easily. like. Sweet. Okay, so we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, first of all, who's your co-host, Jessica? Jessica, yeah. Uh, who is she and how did you guys we end up doing that together? Because I think... Uh, Ten years ago, maybe more, I, I was looking for other writers to help me out on my website. Uh, I don't do it now, but I used to. And I think she just reached out saying she was interested. So she was writing about stuff that I was obviously interested in. And then we just clicked. We we started talking more. Uh, she lived downtown Chicago, so we would hang out a bunch. Uh, she's the one that prodded me into saying, you should start a podcast. Let's do that together and so the podcast has lasted. I kind of do my own thing now in terms of the writing. Like, I don't have anyone else writing. But the podcast has lasted. And it's like a lot of shows. It goes through iterations. So as I was saying earlier, like, we used to do just straight-up interviews. Mostly it was a chance to talk to people I was interested in. But now it seems uh, more interesting to me anyway. Let's talk about what's happening in the news. And I'm saying this as someone who follows it constantly and she is someone who very literally does not follow every little bit of it. So it's kind of, let me try to explain to you what's happening in the news. And you can point out where, ask the questions that you think other people Your might have. First reaction questions yeah. kind of thing. And so that seems to have been a better groove for us. Well, okay. So interviews wise, the people that I noticed and the people that I know already uh, from having followed or whatever, we'll make this quick fire. Okay. Okay. Because okay. I still want to get to the book. Sure. Uh, and so... Quick fire, tell me one thing about each person that oh was fascinating. And you don't want you to think about it. Just all right, it could all right. be something personal about their, their or, or an opinion they had. Or okay. whatever. Daniel Dannett. Smart and knows how to explain complicated things in a way that's not off-putting. That sounds like Daniel Dannett. Yeah. Okay. James Randi. Him, you know, I like the guy. He he has he had his shtick. Because he's done this for so long. Mm -hmm. So getting to talk to him, it was less about me asking questions than just, I'm going to shut up and let you tell me whatever stories you want to tell (laughs) me. That was fun. Right, okay. Um, Obviously, the one I know the most probably is Matt Dillahunty. Sure. I've known the guy for such a long time that I don't remember every interaction at this point. That is a guy who is deeply passionate about the debate, about the religious debate, and I don't think there's a Christian apologist you could throw at him whose arguments he doesn't already have good responses to. So I am a big fan of Matt's. I am sure he doesn't know I exist yet, <laughs> but I, I have tried to reach out to say in different formats before I started doing this, I was like, let me help you guys in some way. Let me make you guys really good intro music or something, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. For for the, now they've got the line, yeah, and they have a the bunch of shows. heathen and all these things. And and he, the, what was weird was is that what my arguments I'd already formed in my head, like my views on abortion and stuff. And yeah. then I heard him giving his, and it's like that's what I think, yeah. Uh, but but 
done in a more articulate and skillful way as he does. Yeah. And I was like, wow, we agree on, we both have very similar um, ethics to Sam Harris sure, and so on and so on. I was like, wow. I mean, we disagree on a few things maybe, but like not much that I, I can tell. I think that's what the appeal of that show was when he was doing it. And, and still the ones he does now is for the people who are just now figuring out that there's something wrong with the Bible and they maybe have some thoughts about what's wrong with it. He is someone who has spent most of his career just reading those arguments, learning about those arguments, which is why those callers might call into one of his shows, and he already knows where they're going with their questions because that's what he's been dealing with his entire life. This is true of anything. It's always fun to listen to people who know the subject matter that you maybe just have a passing interest in or you're curious about. Like, you don't want to hear from someone else who just kind of also has a passing interest. You want to hear from an expert. And if an expert, like, already knows where you're going and, like, what the best response is, that's appealing. Like, I will fully admit, that's not what I'm interested in right now because theological debates, I don't care. I want to know what people are doing with their beliefs. Um, yes. But yes. there are so many people curious and they're. Finally, they're younger. They're just figuring it out right now, however, whatever age they are. And so here to hear someone like Matt, like any of the other hosts, being able to articulate these ideas, like it feels nice to know, oh, not only am I on the right track, these guys have thought about it and have a good way of putting it. It's that's yeah, the appeal for sure. of that show. Yeah, for sure. Those shows. Uh, Dan Barker. Yeah. I, I know, don't know as much about him, but I do know that I... I, I did a talk for them. Yeah. I, I was planning on doing all this that I'm doing now back then, but I just, it was impossible at the time yeah. with everything that was going on. So I did a talk for them and um, that's how I learned about him and so on. But what would you say about Dan Barker if you had to sum him up? He's old school in the best way. Atheist, like came to it from a very hyper religious background, like worked in the ministry for a long time. Um, same deal. He can do the debates. He he appeals in a very old-fashioned, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He just talks about this in an old-fashioned way, and there's something comforting about that. But I will say the group he helps run now, it, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they are the fastest and maybe best at just pushing an atheist viewpoint and fighting the fight when it comes to church-state separation and for that, I mean, that's going to last far longer. Yes, which is what we'll get into with your book, because you mentioned that a lot when you're talking about the Secular Student Alliance, about yeah. how much they rely on these outside uh, people to come in and help. Yeah. Um, Alex O'Connor. Yeah. I find him fascinating and frustrating. <laughs> why is that? Because I admire his depth of knowledge on pretty much everything to Correct do. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was a student at Oxford and he studied theology or philosophy? Yes, okay. philosophy. I'm not sure if he studied the theology, but they're so deeply linked, yeah. I guess. When he was doing Cosmic Skeptic, which he's just sort of, he's still technically called that. But I, again, I, it's not that I don't agree with the things he's saying still. It just seems like, how do I word this? He, he has people on, obviously, that he disagrees with strongly. But he seems to talk to them in a way where gives it credence almost now where he's 
That's I have just a little irk of me. That's just a little irk of mine. But I, honestly, I, I really respect the guy. I'd love to chat with him sometime too. I yeah. think he's wonderful. I want him to fight back more. If that makes sense, you yeah, know. I, I haven't watched just watched much too recent, much. <laughs> I haven't heard enough of his recent stuff from Alex. But uh, yeah, I, I hope he's fighting that fight. I don't know where he stands on a lot of important issue, and this is because I don't watch his stuff closely. Right. This is just stereotypical of me. When I hear his accent, the British accent, it's like, oh, no, you're going to go down a far-right rabbit hole. But I don't know if that's true or not. I just know a lot of people, this is going back to the Dawkins thing, like, oh, you're going to say a bunch of stuff I don't like. I hope that's not true because I, I think he's a smart dude. Uh, but I, I haven't followed him enough. I don't know where he is on a lot of those things. Okay. Um, let's say um, I was very fascinated. Uh, Jerry Coyne? He, yeah, he did go down the far-right rabbit hole. After he retired a couple years ago. So he's very much like anti-trans. Every I never understand. This is true of a lot of the classical liberal types. Where everything in their life revolves around what college kids do on campus. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> so if one college kid says something stupid, it doesn't represent anything except themselves. Yeah, the whole point is they're but, there to learn what they, is they believe. Yeah, Jerry things, is very right? good about explaining evolution, and he can talk about that stuff. And it's it's very solid, and I liked his books on that stuff. But if you read anything he does now, it's just Ugh. wild, right-wing, crazy rabbit hole stuff. So disappointing to hear, just like Dawkins in recent, yeah. uh, you know, the last year or yeah, so. And I say this as a Dawkins science book fan. Like, Same here. What are you doing? Stop it. Yes. Okay, so speaking of books. Yeah. Let's get on to, <laughs> I I read your book. I, like, I want to do this right. When I know I'm having somebody on, I'm going to research. I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed the book. And it was fun for me because having grown up in a completely different environment than most of these kids in your book have, of basically not giving a shit that I was an atheist when I was a teenager. I, yeah. I couldn't have cared if I told the world to hear the story. I mean, I knew this. There all were a existed, lot of kids in that book where you see them either coming to terms with their atheism, but then they realize really quickly there's something happening in their schools or with the teacher or a coach where they are promoting religion illegally. And these kids try to take action to stop it, which is, I mean, that's hard for anyone to do. And then, yeah, when you see some of these stories of what these kids are going through, it's like, oh, my God, you put yourself, you painted yourself, you made yourself a target, and not, like, willingly so, but that was going to happen. And the way a lot of them handle it is really inspiring. It is. I just want everybody to know that the Young Atheist Survival Guide, it's basically a collection of stories of examples. I don't know if the persecution is the right word, but certainly a form of social persecution to atheists who try to come out or they have an issue with something going on that's religious in a school that shouldn't here in America and how they dealt with either letting most of it go or they were like, no, I can't let this go. Right. I have to go fight this. And they got, uh, you know, like the, you know, the ACLA involved and the FFRF and all these other, uh, you know, organizations involved. So I, I have loads of stuff written down here. Yeah. We'll start with just a couple of examples yeah. here that I found particularly interesting. So August Brunsman, was yeah. the first one that I was intrigued by the story. Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Um, oh, man, it's been a while. I love August. Uh, August started the Secular Student Alliance, partly for the same reason, like, he was interested in this stuff in college. He ended up starting what he hoped would be a more national group, because we all had heard of, like, Campus Crusade for Christ, similar types of groups that exist on college campuses. There was nothing like that on the secular side. 
So he helped launch this organization, and it ultimately became, under his leadership, this place where if you wanted to start a campus atheist group, they would help you form it. And then later on, they would try to help you maintain it because starting a group at a college campus and keeping it going after a leader graduates is a really hard thing to do. Um, but he was one of the first people when I I told you I launched a group when I was in college, they gave me a scholarship to go to one of their events. I got to meet him and know him and figure out, oh, this is what the national group is concerned about. And these issues might be different depending on where, which states we're talking about. Um, but I got to learn like, oh, that's what it's like when you're looking at this stuff from a much broader perspective. Mm-hmm. He's no longer working kind of in that movement, but What he launched there is still going. The Secular Student Alliance still exists. It's still working. They had to overcome the pandemic just like everyone else because a lot of these college groups disappeared. So it's a lot of rebuilding going on. But um, really set the tone for even-keeled, not trying to pick fights with you, just trying to help young atheists get off the ground, come to uh, get comfortable with their own beliefs, which is an important thing. Some of the particular issues that were going on in the book, the idea of the pledge, for example, and people sitting yeah. down, not standing up to do the pledge, which is something I've told my kids. I've explained to them, like, you do realize this thing you do every morning, you could just sit down and you not do, do it. Or yeah. you could stand up and not say it. Yeah. Or you could literally step outside if you wanted to. But I've warned them that this is something that you will have, whether you understand it yet or not, will have a blowback by doing. So you might want to just, you know, sit there and uh, stand there and be quiet or whatever. But later when you're stronger and you're older and you want to sit that out, you can happily explain. And anybody that wouldn't be your friend because of it is probably not somebody you want as a friend anyway. Right. And in some of those cases, you have students who might choose not to say the Pledge of Allegiance or they stand up and don't say it or they their coach on some sports team is saying, let's get together for prayer before a game. And they're the lone wolves trying to say, I don't want to participate in it, or I think this is wrong. And the thing is, look, that that stuff still all happens today. But at the same time, I think because those issues have all become bigger legal battles, schools are better equipped at knowing how to deal with this stuff. They have better policies in place to try to deal with that. Um, Yeah, a lot of these examples are 90s. Yeah. Early 2000s time. And like, was that Nicole that I wrote down? She was the main girl, right, that was played a game. And afterwards, they all got together and the yeah. guy said this big group prayer. And she's like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. And, and then, you see a lot of that going on, too, where it's like, what do you do if you're the lone atheist and you're surrounded by a religious community that doesn't see anything weird about public school teams just coming together for a group prayer after a game? And there is an argument to be made, like, Not every, even in super conservative areas, not everyone follows your religion. Mm -hmm. And what is the obligation? Because legally speaking, no, you can't do that. But the argument is, well, most of us are cool with it. So what's the big deal? Think about what that does to the outsiders. Think about what it does to a student who doesn't belong, who doesn't participate in any of that. Because now you are now seen as like an outcast on the team. You're bad for team morale. You are not joining in with everybody else, which could limit your playing time. And if you're a really good athlete in high school, that could limit your college options if you're hoping to do this later on. And so for the kids I wrote about in that book, and for the kids I still see today who are fighting against religious extremism like that, it is a lot to ask of them to stand up and do this stuff yeah, it takes, it. It, yeah, it takes yeah. a certain. Yeah, that's why the, the, out of all the 
you know, when you think about the examples you gave, there was probably a few thousand that we will never know about or thousands that we'll never know about that never actually did anything about their thoughts because they were so worried. I mean, just walking into middle school, from what I can tell, we don't have middle school in the UK. Yeah. From walking into middle school sounds like an absolute hellish experience for any nor- considered normal person. <laughs> Imagine then, yeah, adding on the, oh, you're a heathen to that right. is like... I mean, the last thing you want in grade school, in middle school, in high school is to be the outcast. You're looking to fit in. Of course you are. You're young. You you don't want to be the rebel necessarily. Yeah. Um, yet we're putting these kids in a position where they're going to be shunned by a lot of people. And that's it's unfair for the school to allow that stuff to happen. And I will say, one of the nice things that has happened is a lot of the things that groups like the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, they will write so many letters to schools saying, we heard you are doing this. This needs to stop. And the schools write back and say, you are correct. We will stop doing that. Now, that happens so many times. Right. Those are not interesting stories necessarily because that's how it's supposed to work. Those groups don't necessarily, I mean, they're not necessarily going to broadcast those stories because it's like, yeah, we did our job. They did their job. They just didn't know any better. And everything's fine. They're not blasting those out for fundraising emails because it happens too many times. They sometimes put out press releases when that doesn't happen. But it's like, you know what? I'm glad it worked out because if 90% of the time everything is working out, that's how it's supposed to go. These don't have to be big deals. Yeah, because actually the connection there is we both interviewed Monica Miller. Yes, who is a attorney who worked with the American Humanist Association. Yes, and I found her interview fascinating because she obviously had the sort of behind-the-scenes look at how she fought some of these things. Yeah. And it's just funny because as I was reading your book, I was like, oh, yeah, Monica mentioned that. Monica mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, like, fascinated by hearing what it was like in the courtroom on these things and yeah. and also hearing her say what they kind of thought they could fight and win and what they just thought they could fight knowing they would lose but knowing it would get national attention or whatever. These things This that- is a thing I don't think a lot of people realize. For a lot of those groups, the church-state separation groups, right now, with the courts as they are, right now it's a game of defense. Like, we want to fight certain battles— but there are certain things they will not file a lawsuit over, even though they know they're legally in the right, yeah. because they know judges will rule against them, and it could be it could set a bad precedent. So a lot of times when you know the Supreme Court is not on your side, like just because of the numbers, there are so many cases they would love to pursue, but they choose not to. They will take the loss in a small area because they don't want to lose in a bigger arena because they know the courts are stacked against them. Yeah. And that's a frustrating place to be in. It would be nice, like, if the Supreme Court was flipped and there were more liberal progressive justices on there, you would see a lot, I mean, you would see many different cases being brought to the court because there's so many things to fight, where right now a lot of those progressive church-state groups are like, you know what, I'm going to, we lost this case, we shouldn't have, but we're going to take the loss there because we don't want that loss to affect everybody, Everything's so we're just going to step out of this, and it's a frustrating position to be in. Okay, so um, real quick then, um, I think you mentioned in the book, um, Deal McGowan wrote a book called Parenting Beyond Belief. Yeah. Tell me how, wh- what your connection is there. Yeah, Dale, I've worked with Dale for many years through those national groups and stuff. He started a charity organization, he uh, helped launch 
uh, Pathios, when that was a website worth a lot of religion writing. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things Dale, I mean, he's a wonderful writer, but he kind of tried to go to publishers and say, there's an untapped market of atheists who are growing up, they're having kids, and how do you raise your kids without religion? And I think a lot of publishers said, yeah, no one's going to be interested in a book like that. He ended up finding one publisher who would publish that book, and it a lot of people, it's still like the textbook to use for that stuff. Because he's talking about how do you raise your kids without religion because you want them growing up to be ethical, thoughtful, compassionate people. It's just a wonderful textbook for not everything has a definitive answer. Like, should you teach your kids about Santa Claus? Even among atheists, that you could go either way on that. But he kind of lays out the pros and cons in a way I had not seen before in well, a thoughtful that, way. That's what I, I didn't want to get into that earlier because I, I wanted to make sure was I was saying about how I have arguments with my family about that. And I found it annoying that, to me, it's a double standard, right? Which it is as far as, far as society goes when it comes to Christianity here. It's like nobody blinks an eye at their at parents bringing up their kids yeah. in the religion yeah. they're in. Yeah. But somehow being an atheist parent is forcing a view on the kid. It's so right. ironic, right? And I was like... It's always indoctrination when it's other people. When it's other people, yeah. And I, I found it funny is that they were kind of mad at me that I didn't want to go down the Tooth Fairy and, and Santa Claus route. Also, perfect example. Okay, I'll, I'll get to it. But what I'm saying is I never told them they didn't exist. My eldest came to me. He's like, how does Santa Claus get to do this, this, and, <laughs> and I'd be like, it seems really weird, doesn't yeah. it? Make them think about it. And honestly, both of my kids by the age of six were no longer in any belief of anything. And now right. that's obviously me, but yeah. I, at no point did I tell them. And that's the difference, in my opinion, between an atheist parent and a, and a religious parent, is I never at one any point told them none of these things right. existed. One, but because they don't hear it reinforced from me, like somebody would be, some of the, one of their friends would be like, there's um, a ghost in the basement. And I'd be like, well, what makes you think that? Right. And then they would explain it. And I'm like, but how many times are you down in the basement normally playing you're you're down here all the time and you don't see them one like yeah but it's dark and i'm like why would a ghost only come out when it's dark yeah why don't you it's see just ghosts in the daytime make them figure it out right? that's one of the things dale uh mentions a lot in the book too which is if the kid comes home and says i think i i don't think i believe in heaven or god and part of you wants to be like yes you got it right but yeah. also he's like that would be bad parenting yes exactly. so he's like oh why do you think that and make them figure it out, and not to tell them they are right or wrong, just to make them think about it. And because like a week later, that same kid might come back, I think I do believe in that stuff. Oh, okay, why? This, get but, get yeah, them the, to think about it. Get them to the talk about it. The same questions probably will lead to this. To the, the same questions on each would lead to probably the same conclusion, I which think. is they probably won't believe because you're re you're letting them think it through. Yeah. Like I've had the I, more questions you asked, they're bound to go to the same answer later on, which is, I don't think any of this stuff is true, right. which is that classic saying, is it an old emperor or somebody like Matt? So tongue or something. And he said something along the lines, give me the child till seven uh -huh. and I'll give you the adult. Yeah. 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 Whatever some, you train them into that, when they're a child, they will carry that on with them. Right. Which, which, to me is I've I've said, uh, and I think I said it on one of my podcasts I've just done, is that if you did not teach anyone religion, your own kids included, until the age of 16, right. I would 
strongly put my money on the fact that it would be gone by now. And if it wasn't gone, it would be in the same realm as like flat earthers. Yeah. If you told someone like the actual beliefs of Catholicism or anything else, like here's what a communion wafer is according to the church, but you told that to an adult and they had never heard of it before, a lot of religious beliefs would be like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. But for so many people, they were just trained to believe that as a child, that it doesn't seem weird to them when they are adults, because it's just what they grew up with. It's like you want to teach kids the importance of epistemology, essentially, the way of getting to truth, but you don't want to give them that either. You want to teach them how to ask questions. Yeah, like my, so my eldest is losing teeth at a very slow rate. She's about her, um, she didn't get her first tooth till 18 months. Oh my God. Right? So she's way behind. My youngest is on schedule, so they both have lost the same amount of teeth. So my youngest last year lost the first couple of teeth and then after the other one, she's like, Daddy, I know it's mommy putting the money. (laughs) Like she's not, if if there's no reinforcement of those ideas, then they don't, like for example, again, ghosts and things, like all my kids through only asking questions, never telling them yes or no, do not believe in ghosts or fairies or monsters or... People don't give kids enough credit for understanding those responses. They do. They 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 do. Um, Okay. Uh, Last thing, because we got uh, just under 10 minutes here, according to my thing, is the other book, which I haven't read, I sold my soul on eBay. Yeah. Quick synopsis. Quick synopsis is, as an atheist, I offered to go to church to the highest bidder on eBay, which back in the day was a thing people did. I don't know. Um, And a pastor basically won. And I'm like, oh, no. And he bought me for a lot of money. I I had to go to church for like 50 weeks in theory. And I'm like, that was a mistake on my end. But he made a deal with me and he said, tell you what, that would make you hate religion forever. Uh, And he, to his credit, knew the landscape of the Christian world. He lived in Washington State. I lived in Illinois. So he said, how about we make a deal? You go to like 10 churches, but I get to pick them for you. Um, 10 different places and 10 different types of Christian churches. So like go to a non-denominational megachurch. Go to an all-black church on the south side of Chicago. Go to like a home living room church because that's the space they have. Go to all of those types. And in return for doing fewer churches, I just had to write honestly about what I thought about them on his ministry's website, uh, which is what I agreed to do for him. And what was interesting about that is the comment threads at the time were actually really positive because you had religious people saying, I can see why some of this stuff that we thought would be appealing to non-religious people is actually off-putting. You had atheists saying, oh, you didn't like that. I didn't like that either. That's why I stopped going to church. Uh. And a Christian publisher saw that and they're like, we're fascinated by this experiment. We want to send you to more churches, but not just in Chicago. Let's send you to, at the time, Ted Haggard's church in Colorado. Let's send you to Joel Osteen's church, uh, which is the biggest church in the country. Let's send you to smaller churches you may not have heard of, but in the Christian world, these are actually pretty famous places. Yeah, and I, I've made myself sit through a Joel Osteen sermon, not in real life. Yeah, but or watching but it on it, TV. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't get that hour back of my is, life. You watch some of these sermons. Again, some of them are designed specifically to appeal to the type of people who don't go to church. I am their target audience when I'm going to these places. 
And yet, what some of these people were doing, very, very offensive, very off-putting. This is going beyond cultural beliefs, culture war beliefs that they have, which I already knew I disagreed with. Just to clarify, is the the book the actual just collection of those reactions to the It is the story of how I began going to these churches Ah. and then what I experienced. Okay, so it is some of those experiences that you wrote about. It's it's it's, it's also not what I wrote the... for the pastor's website. These are new observations when gotcha. I went to these new places. Joel Osteen's the interesting thing was if you ever watch his stuff online or on TV or in person, oh, I can see why this guy is so appealing to so many people because yeah, there is a Bible involved and he's quoting sometimes from it. But more than anything, it's here's how you can live a better life. Here's a positive life. It's a TED Talk, more or less. It's like, oh, that's why he's not offensive to a lot of people. It's also why a lot of Christians don't like what he's preaching, because it's very much like the Bible is a starting off point for me to talk about how you can improve your life. Yes, and he's probably not going to quote Exodus 21 during it. He's not saying anything offensive. It's going to be cherry-picked Sermon on the Mount things. Yes. Even some of that's not particularly intelligible, in my opinion. But there's some stuff that's going to sound very profound. Yeah. You can find it anywhere. And whereas other preachers are very much, no, the Bible tells you you got to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah, but some of those are not good things. But again, that's that's what that book was. And again... Well, I'm going to go read that now. For me, the interesting thing about it was... (laughs) And I have urged other atheists to do this too. If you didn't grow up in this world, which I didn't, or if you grew up in it, but you only went to one type of church, this is an amazing learning experience because you should go see what these churches are like in person, what they actually say, and not just, you shouldn't take a cherry-picked version of it because you might see a clip online that is deeply offensive. Go see what they're actually like in person because you will get a better understanding of it, why they appeal to so many people. More than anything, though, I think there's an argument to be made among a lot of atheists that if we just use the right set of arguments, if we just point out contradictions in the Bible, people will become atheists, they will stop going to church, and that'll be the end of it. And it doesn't work that way. And part of the reason is a lot of these churches have so much more that they do that draws people in and keeps them in the fold and unless we understand what's keeping them there, and it's not the Bible. What's the, who's the quote, you can't reason somebody out of what they weren't reasoned into? Yeah, that might have been Delahunty. I'm not sure who that uh, it's was. It's a great quote, though, yeah, because it, it is... You can't reason someone out of something they were never reasoned into in the first place. Yeah, like, and I, it's like, I haven't heard an argument in the last maybe 15 years for something in the Bible, whether it be you know, an argument against divine hiddenness or whatever that I haven't instantly thought of 20 reasons why that's a bad idea and then given it and they ha- it hasn't swayed them in any way. But right. I'm like, but how can that not be just like you're now an atheist? Right, <laughs> right. Okay, so before you go, last questions, yeah. because I want to help you as well with this is what's next for you, books-wise, interviews-wise, sure. podcast-wise? Are you given any... um because I'm fascinated in this because I have a natural ability, obviously it's what I've done my whole life to be on a stage and feel comfortable. So I would love to be able to help like go and do secular student alliance talks and things and show how somebody like me, who's a a musician and and, and a public figure as we would be called is happily openly open about what I am and what I believe. I'd love to go chat to people about, especially young kids to show them that like sometimes the best form of defense is just to say, 
yeah, you mean you're not an atheist <laughs> type of a thing, right? right? Like, what do you mean you you believe in God? What? Right. Why? Like, you see, I mean, like, put them on the defensive. Like from day one of middle school, you're like, oh, no, I don't believe that stuff. Right. If you want to know why, I'll tell you. If you want to make fun of me, feel free. But if you want to know why, come and ask me. Right. Makes sense. So go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Tell sure. me. Sure. Um, so I, I mostly as a writer, I write at FriendlyAtheist.com about news issues that are happening um, that's kind of the bulk of what I do. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, you can find me at Friendly Atheist One. I don't know. That's the that's the tagline, Friendly Atheist One. Um, one the the number, the number or the, one. the number, not the word. Right. Right. Okay. I also have a Friendly Atheist podcast that I do with my co-host Jessica. In terms of projects, I think the next big project I'm working on is going through the entire Book of Revelation. Uh, that's on Kickstarter as we speak, but that'll be on YouTube eventually. And Rather it's kind of fun me. <laughs> re- reading through the book verse by verse and actually say, this is what it says. We can totally make fun of it, but it's important to understand what the text actually says because so many Christians take that stuff seriously. Yeah, or most of them haven't actually read it. And or most they, of they them have not read, read it because they've been preached to about it. Yeah. But there's a big difference. Oh, there's so much crazy there stuff. There is in something it. to be said about the best way to become an atheist is to read the Bible. That's right. Um, and the argument I get is it's out of context, out of context, out of context. Yeah, so let's like, let's not like, take it out of why context. Why would a God write a book that you need context for? <laughs> If it's meant to be the almighty word and it's right. meant to be the most important thing you could ever learn, right. why would there be 10,000 denominations, different religions? Why would somebody think that you need to be circumcised? You don't need yeah. to be circumcised. You can do this and can't do this. It would be the most obvious thing in the world. There would yeah. be no debate. Yeah. I'm like, but just like when you read Revelation, it's absolutely insane. It's insane. It sounds like some Bronze Age goat herder was high as a kite. Oh. Absolutely. I mean, what they were smoking, bring it on, because I, I, I want to see... The hallucinations are glorious. Right, and if, so, you actually, if you actually look at what the sort of things, and you, if you were to draw some of the descriptions oh of what God. the things are meant to come back, and I, you'd be like, really, really? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible, or do you believe about one tenth of it because it's scary you know but yeah. anyway that's i just want to make sure and all the links so that i can have that all in the description Absolutely. so this always goes out on a friday as an audio version and then just the next day i have the video version awesome. come up so you can get it either on only audio or or video as well whichever you prefer to, to listen to so i'll have all the links to Hammond's stuff in there please check him out he's um i mean i think he's doing wonderful things for the atheist community so check him out support him buy his book and or books and <laughs> subscribe uh, on uh, friendlyatheist.com and you'll get it daily. There you go. Do that, guys. Thank you so much, Hammond. All right. Thanks, Thank Keith. You. I appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Cheers. That's it, man. Good. Thank you. All right. Yeah.